Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Here we go. Hey, thanks everybody for joining us. We're going to give it just about 30 to 45 seconds here before we get started today, allowing everybody to jump into the conversation. Appreciate you being here with us. Share with us while you're getting on here. We're gearing up. I mean, I know, Kate, you're not in this place down in New Orleans. You're probably still pretty warm, but we're kind of heading into the holiday season here. We're already starting to see the effects of it with morning temps in the upper 20s. Yes. No, I think it's probably 80 outside today. (laughs) So we are completely uh, good on the weather. We had a little bit of a cool down. Of course, it was. Uh, Halloween that we had to cool down for you know, a big one day. I think it was 40-ish, upper 40s, lower 50s uh, on Halloween evening, which really threw a wrench in the Halloween costume uh, prep. Uh, I was so, you know, for the one day that we've had a cold, it was not an ideal day. We had, we were talking about that with our team here um, because the night before Halloween, we got three inches of snow. It was our oh first. Gosh. And so it's like costumes in um, the Twin Cities have to be like, you have to plan size accordingly to have attire on underneath them or have, right. them, or have them covered up and a kid that's not disappointed one or the other. But yeah. Right. Puff jacket underneath and then whatever on top. <laughs> Those blow-up costumes are very appropriate for for here. Those (laughs) multi-purpose. So, yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. This is the last week in Mortgage Today. I'm Faith Howard Mooney from the Mortgage Collaborative. And so lucky today um, to have someone very familiar to our network with us, Kate Decay, who is the CEO of Eustace Mortgage. Thanks, Kate. Yes, I'm so happy to be here. I love... um, hosting. And I think this is my first time hosting with you. So uh, have a chat. I know. I'm excited about that. So Eustace was, I mean, we're in our 10th year here at TMC already. And, um, but Eustace has been with us since uh, in first seven, almost seven of those years at this point um, in time. So long-term member um, within our network. Also, you serve on our lender member board. and. So exciting and so happy for you and so well-deserved that you were just named one of the top 50 most influential people of New Orleans. Yes. Thank you, Faith. I mean, the Mortgage Collaborative has been such a benefit to our company and uh, myself personally and, you know, the honor recently in New Orleans. um, It's uh, humbling for sure. And I had set out to uh, really kind of serve the community about four years ago now. And that moment, um, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to commit, I'm going to do it. I've talked about it for 10 years. Um, I need to find the time to do it. And it's kind of like one of those things where you never have enough money or time or any of the things you just have to start doing it so that you get into it. Um, So I finally committed and um, I've been loving participating in the community with um, some more youth related organizations in New Orleans. And, you know, of course, I guess, as I do with all things now, I'm overcommitted. <laughs> I, I guess there's worse places you could be overcommitted. 
We love you. you. Thank you for that recognition. Appreciate it. Yes, yes. One of the greatest, we have a lot of great women within our network, but you surely are, you know, in that, in that list as well. So it was great to see a city that you so relate to and that is just the heart of who you and Eustace are um, to recognize that as well. So you want to share just so that we're kind of level set with the people that are on the call with us today and the people listening in after the fact, kind of just a, a brief little bit about Eustace and you know what you do in that market. Yeah, awesome. So um, if you didn't realize already, we're based out of New Orleans. It's our headquarters. Uh, it's where I am as well. Uh, we're a company independent mortgage banker. We've been around since 1956. Um, in the local area and really mostly throughout Louisiana during that time. So we're certainly one of the longest standing um, IMBs in our area and probably around, especially with all the things that are occurring today. Um, and, you know, we're spread out over 22 states at this point, primarily in Texas and Louisiana. Uh, we're a mid-sized lender and we're just tr a true retail um, model. Yeah. Yep. And into New Orleans, it's the place to be for uh, for this, you know, week and this upcoming year. And that you've got some events related to our business that are coming into New Orleans. Yes, definitely. So MBA is hosting um, two events here. Most recently, actually, I think it's this week, um, the Accounting and Financial Management Conference. And then for all those IMBs, um, shout out to the IMBs that are joining and listening today. Um, the IMB conference is in January in New Orleans. So yeah. um, come on over and visit me. Yeah, I hope to do so. So we'll have to we'll have to do some planning around that as we get get closer to that. Yes, you know it. Let's start out today. So last week, right before this show happened, there was an announcement and a, a ruling um, related to NAR and. Um, a ruling that happened in Missouri related to um, real estate agent commissions. Mm -hmm. um, originally, the award was $1.78 billion in damages. I didn't know this, but that can be um, more than double that they're estimating. It could be up to $5 billion, which I was not aware that's how that worked, but right. apparently... Apparently, it is with more expected from the judge. Uh, the judge that's ruling in the next week or so, and so um, just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that. You obviously have been interacting with real estate professionals and agents in your area for a long period of time, and kind of like get your take on that, and then kind of anything that you think could potentially happen related to that. Yeah, so it's really interesting, and I, I think your point is so valid too about the the ability um, for the judge to kind of increase the required payout. And when you're, you know, whenever you're thinking about lawsuits and things like this, like is the money ever actually getting to the consumer? And I know I've you know read a lot about it's really going in the lawyers' pockets, and probably you know each consumer may see a hundred bucks or some sort of very minimal amount. So that's always frustrating, especially when you're ruling um, such a large amount in favor of um, consumers in that Missouri area. And, and I find it's a, you know, it's a lot of slandering real estate agents um, with, you know, real purge as uh, NAR has been able to designate. 
And, you know, whenever I look at things like that, I always think something must be happening in the background um, often for things to kind of escalate to the way they to the way they were. You know, uh, are the practices 100 percent correct in the seller required to pay for the buyer's agent? You know, I'm sure there could be some modifications to that process. Um, it's interesting, though, you know, in our market and and um, and most of the markets we're in, there is still, you know, a negotiating power by the seller. Um, I know that there's also then conversations about what kind of buyer or buyer's agent you're appealing to in that scenario. So if, you know, you're only willing to pay 100 bucks to the buyer's agent, you know, will those folks come through? So, you know, I typically have always seen the realtors really that's a communication piece and just an understanding on both sides what it means if you make the deductions. So they were required to pay, but required to pay could be a dollar. Um so you know I find a lot of the headlines to be misleading as if they were required to pay three percent or they were required to pay the buyer's agent two percent. Are commissions set that high often? They are. Um, but it's certainly not required. There, there's negotiation. So, you know, I think the end outcome, and I've talked to a lot of uh, my real estate agent friends, you know, they don't, you know, there's no specific ruling to them at this point, nor did change their requirement to say that you are required to pay the buyer's agent some amount to just your, to make that zero. So kind of right before the ruling, which also didn't look good in their favor because, you know, right before a trial begins, you change it um, to zero dollars. Seems like there should have been a lot more effort on our side to make some systematic changes prior to the trial. Um, maybe that's as simple as a disclosure that really has the seller um, understanding and very explanatory on what their options are, you know. Right. You know, here's what you can pay, but you're not required to pay it. Um, so, I, you know, again, on the realtor side, they're not really, they're not clear what they're, you know, what most of the folks that I know, um, they're not even clear what they're doing. So yeah. that shifts me too. And I'd love to hear if you've seen anything around this as well. It kind of shifts to, so then what what is the outcome? You know, who is it benefiting? And I think it's benefiting, you know, the fintechs and the like I buying platform. Some of the things that really want to affect the MLS and weaken the MLS um, and and be able to basically, you know, open that market up. Competitive market is a good thing to some extent, but you know, when we're talking about throwing Zillow in the mix and that they're gonna all of a sudden control, you know, the listing. Uh, I think that's also a bit of a scary uh, right. context. Right. I think it goes back to, I mean, I always say it, it's, it's all about the people. And the other thing that I always say is the headlines are always very deceiving. Because when I first read this, it said mandated, you know, X percent mm -hmm. it, um, in Missouri was required. But then when you dig into it a little bit more, as with most things, they are typically negotiable, but it appears that it wasn't being presented in that community in that way. So, you know, maybe it's a matter of disclosing, you know, when you're in that process that you have to disclose that this is not an automatic 
this percentage. This is something that we can talk about and negotiate on. And I do think that that's a very, very valid point. I know when I bought my home in February, I negotiated that. I had a, There are great agents out there that can help you in a market where homes are really hard to find. Um, and I was working with somebody that I had worked with before. I'm sure you have people that you've worked with all the time that are um, and are very, very helpful to people and deserving of their commission as well. Um, but I think that um, it kind of addresses maybe a little bit more of people that haven't been in the industry for a long time. And some of those first-time home buyers that are buying, choosing to go down a path of, I don't want to pay any of that. I don't, I don't, I don't want to pay any of that. So how do I not pay any of that? And there are some people that probably could do that, that are very knowledgeable about the business. There's also a reason why for sale by owners, you know, aren't a large percentage of the marketplace <laughs> as well. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it, you know, I think the what's going to happen is kind of out. Apparently, there is an Illinois lawsuit that's pending as well. There's numerous further. Um, and I'm thinking broadly of the, the trickle down effect too. So if there is a broad change to how the buyer's agent is paid. Certainly, there's guideline requirements on our side that really eliminates um, a lot of that ability for what the buyer can pay. You know, at this moment, that would be considered an interest party, interested party contribution, which obviously those percentages are regulated. VA just flat out doesn't even allow it um, at all for the uh, buyer's agent to be paid through um, by the veteran. So there's certainly a lot, you know, if if there were a broad change, there would be certainly a lot that would have to push down from the agencies that regulate us as well to clarify what would be allowed and what would not, because certainly the outcome would could be to marginalize that low to income moderate borrower from access to purchase a home. And, you know, considering many of our goals and, and so many of the agency's goals are to uh, increase access to home ownership, this certainly would do the exact opposite of that if, again, if the buyer's agent had to pay the real estate agent's commission or certainly push to a completely different model um, and, and one that you would assume would be disproportionate to that buyer because if they're not being um, advocated for, if they don't have the correct representation because they can't pay for the representation, then they're just, you know, they're probably paying a higher price or some other things that certainly would cover the cost. So it's definitely an interesting case um, to follow. And I'm sure, and as has already occurred, you know, it will be expecting appeals. Um, but I do believe that there's going to be, regardless of what the outcome is of, you know, however much they're going to have to pay out, I do think that we're going to see changes um, and adaptation, you know, based off of the rules that the National Association of Realtors was requiring um, those things adjust and hopefully um, our agency guidance reacts accordingly. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the first things that I thought about when I read it. It's like housing shortage, supply. And so here's another thing that could potentially impact the people that have lesser funds um, to get a house or be considered. You just don't want one more disqualifying thing for those people or one more barrier that would prevent them from being considered an option um, to buy a home. I guess we'll wait and see. Um, I did 
read or hear something out there that it's short term, judges expected to rule on this within the next week or so. So hopefully uh, by the next time we get together here next week, there'll be sort of indication at least of the first steps. But yeah, I definitely, there's an appeal coming. I think we all probably realize this and this could take quite a period of time to kind of work through the process that's out there. Considering how long agencies take to change our uh, guidelines and what we're required to, we need it to take some time. They'll they'll certainly take some time to react to whatever that is. For sure, for sure. Also last week, the Fed left the interest rate unchanged. Um, I don't know if that's a surprise to anybody. I, you know, it's like at this point, who knows? Um, You know, I would love to kind of like hear, you know, when you hear things like that, obviously they're still strongly committed to this 2% target um, rate. I would just love to hear your opinion on, you know, kind of like what you anticipate may happen. The next meeting is December 13th. So there's one more meeting left in this year um, and, and kind of like just a reaction to that happening. So, you know, if I was an economist or I had the ability to predict all the things that were going to happen, I would say like I'd be on Wall Street and hopefully making billions of dollars. <laughs> I certainly don't have that um, skill. And um, so that kind of leaves me the person that sits and just watches and, and waits to see what happens, you know, of course, while strategically planning what outcomes could occur. I mean, in my opinion, the fact that they left it unchanged was, you know, I wouldn't say surprising, but it was certainly a sigh of relief um, because, you know, I felt like through, you know, that moment, it's just, you know, there's so much uncertainty and instability in the market um, that seeing one sign towards a positive change was very uplifting. <laughs> um, I know with being a member of NBA um, and they had joined for- forces with NAR, who uh, you know, when I initially um, they sent this coalition letter, I was very happy that NAR was joining forces with us. Um, of course, now I think <laughs> in in NAR's current demise, who knows? Um, but it was also the National National Association of Home Builders. So you know, strength in numbers is a great thing. And the two biggest requests were to leave the rates unchanged and also um, to to not sell their MBS holdings to kind of create a little bit more stability and and kind of lessen that spread that we're seeing right now that's causing a lot of that uncertainty and volatility. Um, so just be seeing at least that one thing was occurred and that, that their message was that they were going to leave it unchanged. Um, so I definitely think that, you know, of course, had the market rally um, when we were seeing rates in, you know, 8% that we haven't seen since I think it was like August of 2000. Um, so it was certainly positive news. Um, unfortunate news, though, that they're not changing their their stance on the MBS holdings. Um, so they'll continue to kind of decrease that over time, which I don't think is necessarily ideal for the market. Um, but, you know, in predictions and what others are predicting and kind of what, you know, I see the same, we're going to see rates, you know, at these higher levels for some time now. Um, so the fact that they're just advising that they're going to stay steady and stick with the plan on their MBS holdings, I think we at least create some sort of stability, even in a higher interest rate environment, which, you know, I have to say is 
the majority of what I want is just some stability in the market. That's what people are looking for too. It's like with all of the uncertainty that's even just out there in the press for people that don't live this every day, they're only seeing like the one thing and that, you know, everything's chaotic and rates are so high and, and all of those things. And I think, you know, if we do get some stability and just kind of settle in somewhere, I think that, you know, for the regular consumer out there, who's not in this every day, I think that gives them some assurances as well, that based on the news out there, they probably don't feel that, even though we might. Definitely. And look, an inventory is going to be an issue that we're going to have um, throughout. I think, you know, on on in my particular areas um, that we lend, you know, insurance is another big issue. So we've we don't have an easy path in front of us, even even if the Fed starts to signal and and do what we need them to do on our side to kind of stabilize. Um, we set, we definitely still have some hurdles um, in the years to come. Yeah. Well, and that like kind of leads us into one of the things that um, people have been talking a lot about. You know, the mortgage lock in rate where people, you know, are fixated with their two and a half percent, two and three quarters, whatever they got that begins with a two or even a three, um, that, you know, that that's what's to blame for everything. So there was a, a study um, out there this week that that only 21% of mortgage borrowers cited that lock-in as their main reason for staying in their home, um, which I don't know, I guess, I had almost convinced myself that that was the main reason, but really, I mean, there's a lot of different things going on in our environment and in our population as some of us are aging, you know, and getting to that end. Um, some of them, 19%, so they just had a preference for their current home. They had no desire to move. Um, you know, that wasn't what they were doing. Some of them, it was related not necessarily to the interest rate that they had, but the home prices that are out there. Um, I think it was 13% of them. Um, and and they, uh, you know, 62% stated that low mortgage interest rates is one of several considerations that they have. And so I think, you know, when we think about that and everybody's so focused on, you know, is it a seven or is it an eight? It's not a two or it's not a three. It's kind of like thinking really about the overall picture of things that as with almost every situation, it's ever just one thing. Yes. And our business has always been cyclical. Um, and we're certainly experiencing that now. But I thought this article was great because even even with the 21% that cited that the lock, their lock-in was the main reason they were staying, I saw further down that only 6% intended on prolonging their stay due to the lock-in effect. So, I mean, if you look, if you think of it like that, you know, in as a lender, that's, that's positive news because yes, we know we have other hurdles occurring. Um, but if we're, if we're talking to each other and we're speaking on the interest rates and, you know, this is going to kind of lock people in <laughs> to their housing for seven years, 10 years, whatever the case may be, 
But luckily, only 6% said that that was kind of any sort of long-term issue for them. We know that we're going to see rates at least come down a bit into a more historical average. Um, so I think the, for the most part, I look at this article as really positive news for us and and just shows us that, you know, weather the storm. Uh, we know that volume and things are going to be up. We're, we know we're going to have an inventory issue. I hope we'll see. And I I didn't notice anything. Um, I didn't get to really dig into the article too much, but I didn't notice anything about insurance, which I thought was interesting because, you know, I know I talk about it a lot in, in our market, but it's certainly occurring in other markets now um, that, it, you know, hadn't traditionally with wildfires and, and some of the other things that are going on in California. Um, I know that it's definitely a barrier or um, an issue here um, in Louisiana and, and somewhat in Texas and, of course, in Florida as well. Yeah, it is in a lot of places. And I think that that is one of the things, honestly, that is taking, you know, first-time homebuyers find a home, they have an opportunity to buy the high cost of insurance. Um, I can't remember what the dollar amount was. I wish I had it at my fingertips. But how much that has went up is actually making some people not qualify. Yeah, what, for sure. I mean... You can't throw in the higher interest rates, the fact that, that homes are still appreciating in most markets, high insurance, you know, it all comes to a perfect storm for, uh, particularly for first-time home buyers, which, you know, in the current market is the majority of what we're seeing um, is, is those first-time buyers being able to come in. So really finding that right mix for them um, yeah. is certainly difficult, but, you know, working with professionals, uh and as many um, of the groups that are the mortgage collaborative members are, I know uh, there's opportunity out there, but it's definitely um, difficult. Yeah, more education, um, getting people prepped for it upfront versus finding out after you go through all the steps of qualification, and then you get down to that end and find out that that would just be devastating. Um, Especially when you're working with somebody that's not really in your market, they don't understand insurance costs. Yeah. It's letting you throw that in. So that education piece is definitely instrumental. But but ultimately, this particular article, you know, I, I, I like the content and I like the fact that we're not sitting here focusing on, which um, it seems to be, you know, such the focus in the news. It's just it's the rate is not the focus. And I'm, I'm happy. And I think that stability that we talked about earlier um, with the market, if we can just get have those two things in play, I think that those even those percentages for the lock in as their main reason for staying should decrease. Yeah, 6% seemed like a great number to me. It's like if only 6% think that that's going to prolong them staying in, that's that's like a good number. Not much higher, like I think we've all been kind of led to believe. One of the things that's happening um, with our population as it ages, I always like to find um, a new term for the week. Um, Not that this was the one that I wanted to find, but it is the one that I found is our population aging. More people, single people, are staying in their homes for a longer period of time as they age. And um, what has been causing some of those factors and those things happening is what they are calling a gray divorce, Um, which we all know that divorce can trigger home purchases, home sales, refinances, you know, all kinds of things related to that as you dispose of property. 
Um, but um, 38 million adults in the United States currently live by themselves. Wow. I thought that was extremely high. I mean, I'm an adult that is by myself, so I don't know why I was surprised by that. <laughs> but I did think that it was a, that it was kind of a high number. Um, and they touted it's because of people divorcing. One third of people that are getting divorced right now are over 50 years old. Right. And so, and that, that percentage is obviously staying in their home. I feel like this could be a dating app. Maybe we create like a new scheme right now. (laughs) Kind of, it's like, well, if that's what's happening, doesn't that generate somebody else also living by themselves and going out, you know? Correct. So I, I kind of thought about it, you know, a little bit differently, but it's like, they're saying that it's not senior living isn't like an isolated thing. It's just much more of a societal change. And part of that is because women being more empowered in the workforce, having more access to funds, um, that's been going on for a little while. Now, I wish it was 100 to 100 that that playing field was equal. I think all of us women do. Um, and we haven't gotten quite there yet. Um, but but women, you know, having the ability to be a little bit more fluid um, and and be on their own as they age. And so I just thought that that was kind of an interesting um, spin on things since 1990, between 1990 and, and 2010, which 2010 is a while ago now, divorce rates for people over 50 doubled. Um, so that old, you know, adage of, you know, it's like people staying together is kind of out the window. Um, the other term that came up during this, which I just thought was kind of funny, is some people are calling them silver splitters. Aww. Silver splitters referring to seniors who divorce and hit a potential silver lining by suggesting that they may discover new beginnings by um, by splitting from their significant other. So, and is it also strange to you that 50 is kind of the age that they've talked about in this article and they're calling 50 seniors. Like, I think that's just also strange. I know. I kind of do too. I I would say calling 50 seniors is an old term, but maybe they're, they're going by. Yeah. The AA is technically a senior. So I'm thinking that 60 is still like not a senior. I don't consider myself a senior. You're not a senior. But yeah, I mean, when you're looking at that too, Faith, I mean, I would think from a housing perspective, you are adding. So that percentage may be higher for singles in homes. But if it is, you know, more people getting divorced after 50, it seems that there would be, you know, additional housing needs for those. Um, additional housing needs, time. less surplus. So yeah. kind of adding to the less surplus because you've got people that have access to funds that have probably purchased a home before instead of being in one household, now being in two. And so impact on surplus as people are aging as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I thought that was kind of a, kind of an, uh, an interesting uh, dynamic. <laughs> and of well, course, yeah, and to just the concept of housing and, and kind of, I'm sure there's certain areas just like there's traditionally occurs today where, you know, if somebody's getting divorced, they probably still want to kind of 
live in the same area that they've lived in with their spouse. You know, that's where their community is. That's where their friends are. That's probably where they have, you know, healthcare or whatever the other situation is. So, yeah, definitely kind of building up um, what those markets look like would be um, probably a new thought, new concepts. Um, um, at TMC, we have one person who always provides us great comedic relief, and she's mentioned in the chat for everybody that she, when she had a baby at 41, she was considered elderly. So, okay. well, so they called me Jerry. So it, they they created a kinder <laughs> name for people pregnant past a certain age because I think it's 35 if I remember correctly, and yeah. I was called geriatric. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> 35. <laughs> <laughs> they've at least named i can't remember because one of my friends was pregnant recently and she called it the new name and i was like that's much kinder than the geriatric pregnancy that i had exactly. so i think we need to kind of like rethink our population and and what it is and and what it's like but i thought that was very interesting the fact that as this large, massive group of people are aging, that there are some of those impacts that are impacting other services, but also housing, which you just don't typically think of. So um, it went by so quick. It always does. It is always great talking with you. We really appreciate everything that you are always willing to participate in with us and the impact that you've had on other lenders and other women within our TMC family. You definitely are someone that we look up to and appreciate greatly. So thanks for doing this with us today. Thank you, Dave. For those of you who um, hopped on here, um, come back and see us next week at the same time. For those of you who are listening to this on our podcast or on YouTube, come and join us someday. We like to hear your comments and we like for you to participate um, with us in person. So we will see you next Tuesday. Thanks, Kate. Bye, everybody.
For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.